Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to John chapter 5. That's where we're going to be spending the majority of our time this morning. And, and it is such a privilege for me to, to be able to stand here this morning and, and share with you guys what the Lord has, uh, what I believe the Lord has placed on my heart for us as a congregation. Um, I should perhaps turn to John 5 myself. Um, and and I, I just need to let you know as we get going here that this uh, sermon is by far one of the most difficult messages I've had to write, uh, not least because I'm still new here, or like we're, we're still getting to know each other and, um, and all that, but, but also because um, when Clark asked me to, to speak a, a number of weeks ago, it's ringing up here. I don't know if that's, that's cool or not. Anyway, I'll keep going. Um, uh, anyway, when Clark asked me to, to speak a number of weeks ago, I felt that God had laid a, a certain word on my heart, and I knew exactly what I wanted to speak on. And then as if on cue, uh, the Holy Spirit began to, to weave something together through different speakers that... Um, that, you know, in a way that only he can do, that seemed to very much go in the opposite direction of where he was telling me we were going. Uh, so this, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here many weeks just kind of listening and, and watching and seeing where God is going. And, um, and then, you know, this, this week I was just really wrestling with God about this subject specifically because I was like, man, I'm new and I don't want to, you know... I don't want to be like the guy, the contrarian, right, to what we're seeing happen here at Glad Tidings. And yet, um, the, the more I sought him, the more it seemed he confirmed on, on my heart that this is where we're going. Um, and, and I just want to let you know that I'm here for your joy, right? And even, and even the songs that Clark, Clark and I really haven't spoken much about what I'm uh, talking about, but the songs that he chose seem to lead us in this direction, um, and so I'm, I'm here for your joy this morning, not your happiness, because uh, those are different things, right? Like your, your happiness can be taken away from you in a second. All it takes is for somebody to cut you off on the freeway, right? And all of a sudden it's like, ah, and then you got a backseat driver telling you all the ways you could have or maybe even should have avoided that whole situation. And the kids are yelling in the back because Netflix isn't working. And, and all of a sudden your day's ruined and you're not happy anymore, right? But... But I'm talking about the joy, the deep-seated, God-given joy that come hell or high water, you are not taking away from me. Right? Like, I know the life that, I know a life of, uh, of walking without Christ, and I know what a life looks like walking in step with Jesus Christ, and I'll take that joy any day. You're not taking that away from me. So I'm here for your joy and not your uh, happiness. Sorry, um, but hopefully uh, we will we'll all arrive in the same place this morning. Um, anyway, thanks, thanks, appreciate that. Um, I, I want to just pray before we go ahead and read from John chapter five. God, I pray this morning as I speak that you would. Uh, give me words 
that you would open our hearts, that we would be receptive to what you have to say to us this morning, that you would encourage your body, that you would encourage your bride in whatever situation, whatever circumstance we're going through, that you would, you would meet us where we are and that you would be faithful to comfort us and embrace us and to love us and continue to show us that you are so faithful. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. So I'm reading from the NLT, uh, but we're going to read from John 5, 1 to 9. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Now crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he knew he had been ill for a long time and asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. So there's a number of things that happening in the background here that I, that I want to point out to us. Because um, what, what happens is if you read this text on its own at first glance, uh, you, you probably get drawn into what most of us get drawn into at first glance, right? That this is a story of a miracle of someone who's getting healed. And, and yet, I want to draw your attention to verse 5 for a second. It says, One of the men... One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Now, I don't know if your Bible does this, but, but my Bible does this. Um, my Bible completely omits verse 4, um, and most of the digital reference Bibles that, that I uh, looked up also omit verse 4. Um, but, but what happens in verse 4, and we don't really have time to why verse 4 isn't there, but... Anyway, what happens in verse 4 is we get the explanation of what the lore was around this pool, right? Around why these people were hanging out there. And is that an angel would come down from time to time and stir up the waters. And so when, when, when they saw the waters to be stirred, the first person to get in the pool would get healed and immediately lose uh, or immediately be healed of whatever disease they had. So here's a man that we know nothing about at this point, uh, other than he's been laying there sick with some disease. We don't know if it's uh, paralysis, or we don't, and if it is paralysis, we don't know if it's from the waist down, from the neck down. We're like We know nothing about him. Uh, but he's been waiting there, waiting for the waters to be stirred to receive his healing, and he's been there for 38 years. Now, I just, wanna, I just want you to take a second for... Uh, I just want you to take a second and think back 38 years and what you were doing in 1981. Like, I can't think that far back because I wasn't even born. I'm just going to date myself a little bit. But 1981, and, and, and the reason I want to stress this is because I don't want it to be lost on us that even by our 21st century life expectancy standards, 
38 years is a long time, right? And, and so this, this is why that tiny detail is important because far too often we read the Bible knowing what's coming and we jump to the conclusion before we even start reading and in anticipation of what we know is coming, we completely miss the detail that gives us context as to what's actually taken place leading up to this event. Right? And so, yeah, this story, like we just read it in the course of one or two paragraphs, but it took 38 years to write these two paragraphs. And so, uh, in verse 7, we get uh, a sense of what he, what his experience has been like. He says, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. So I'm just going to leave my Bible there for a second. And, and I'm going to invite you, uh, this is something I encourage you to do when you read the Bible, is just to use your God-given imagination to step into what's happening. Not as a character, right, but as a bystander. So the, the, the image has been laid for us, right? They're in Jerusalem, they're in a place called or near the Sheep Gate. So there's a bunch of animals, farm animals. You can smell the marketplace. The sun is beating down. And there's these uh, porches around a public pool, a public bath, where there's sick people with diseases. And they're coughing all over you and getting their disease all over you. And, and just imagine, if you will, for a second, the stench And here's a man that got likely just dropped off. And he's been waiting there for 38 years. And and again, just, just for context, 1981, right? So he's been waiting for the waters to be stirred. And again, all we know is that there's this urban legend that says every once in a while, an angel comes down, stirs up the water, and the first person to get in gets healed. Right? But we, we don't know if it's monthly, if it's annually, if it happens only every once every two or three years. But every once in a while, an angel comes and stirs up the water. So he's been there. He gets there in 1981, right? And he waits, and he waits, and he waits. And the waters get stirred up, and his eyes light up. And he gets excited, and he wants to get there, but he doesn't. And so he waits, and he waits, and he waits some more, maybe months, maybe years. And again, the waters get stirred up at some point, and he tries to get there, but he just can't. Like he can't. Somebody keeps getting there in front of him, and again, and again, and again, and again. And for 38 years, he's been waiting And at what point during those 38 years do you think he's just like, God, really? Like, come on. Like, I've been here waiting for a miracle. All right, yes, you've made your point. So where are you going with this? I'm glad you asked. Um, We have been led to believe as North American uh, believers, Christians, 
whether directly or indirectly, that the life of a Christian should be fairly worry-free. Right? That once we've prayed a prayer and decided to follow Jesus, that all of our cares would suddenly vanish. Right? And that life would be great, that the mess we made of our own lives would be fixed. That our marriages would be healed, that our bosses would be nicer to us, or, or maybe even get fired because nobody liked Bob anyway. Right? And yet, and, and, and what we're expecting, what we've been told, is that we're just going to experience blessing and increase and breakthrough. And yet, when we look at Scripture, when we look at the whole of Scripture, not just this text, the whole of Scripture, we see that God doesn't really operate that way. Jesus himself tells his disciples in John 16 that in this world you will have troubles. But don't be afraid. I have overcome the world. And later on, James writes in his letter to the church, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. What? These trials are supposed to bring us joy? Like, See, one of, the, one of the biggest themes of the New Testament is that we're never going to reach perfection on this side of eternity. But, but God, through his Holy Spirit, is working in us, transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways he does that is by allowing trials to come into our lives in order to increase our faith. Or as, or as James puts it, to produce perseverance. Because how many of you know that the Christian life isn't a sprint, but rather a marathon? Hmm? And so Hebrews 12 talks about running the race with endurance. And with every season and every trial and every victory that God, not us, but God works on behalf of his children, we are being transformed. Our faith is being strengthened. Our love and dependence on Christ is being increased. So, if you're in this room this morning, and you're in a season of suffering and have been waiting for God to intervene. And you're tired of waiting, and you're tired of praying, and you're tired of pleading, and you're tired of crying yourself to sleep because you just don't know how you're going to face tomorrow. Let me, let me encourage you this way. God is at work in the mess. God is at work in the mess, and he hasn't forgotten you. There's, there's this verse in Psalm 56, verse 8. That David writes, You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle, and you've recorded each one in your book. So take heart, brothers and sisters. He's not forgotten you. But until he intervenes, we need to continue to press forward. We need to continue to be faithful. We need to continue to trust that God is at work in the mess. 
There's a second thing I quickly want to highlight here from this man's response in verse 7. In verse 6, Jesus asks him if he'd like to get well, and he says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. So here's a man who's been waiting 38 years, right? Who knows how many stirrings he's missed? Who knows how many people he's seen get healed? And at some point in the waiting, right, because 38 years is a long time. And at some point in the waiting, he came up with a plan. At least one that we know of, right? One that he tells us of, and that is, if he can convince someone to hang around long enough, For the next time the waters stir up, maybe they can carry him into the pool and he can get his healing. But what I want to highlight here is that when we get tired of waiting, we can try to take circumstances into our own hands. The the slide here says, in desperation we desire control. And I've got a number of of scripture references that we can look at that that say this exact thing, that tells us this thing about the human nature, about the human condition. But but really, I mean, we just need to look at our own lives, right? Like I I know, uh, I know we don't know each other that well right now, but, uh, but I just need to let you know that this season the Lord has me in right now, it's, it's been uh, not quite a year yet, and already two or three times I've tried to be like, oh, maybe this is what I need to do. Maybe I can do this to get where I want to go, to get where God wants me to be. Maybe I just need to do more. And again, we, realize that, or we don't realize that God is using this time of waiting to produce perseverance to make us rely on him more, to make us dependent on him. Here's here's the last thing that I want to point out in this sermon. Went a lot quicker than I expected it to. Uh, Let's read verses 6 to 9. When Jesus saw him, he knew he had been ill for a long time. And he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And immediately the man was healed. He rolled up his mat, his sleeping mat, and began walking. Here's what I want you to see in this. Is that Jesus knows what you need. Jesus showed up to this man's life. And it says, he knew he was ill for a long time. He didn't know him. He didn't ask him his name. He didn't ask him his story. He saw him and he knew that he was ill and, and here's kind of where things really go upside down. Is that he knows what you need, and what you need isn't a miracle. What you need is him. 
right? So we all know this story because it's a story of a guy that gets healed. It's another miracle that Jesus performs. We love that, right? We love the miracles. But, but Jesus himself says in John 6 that if we seek a miracle, then what we're going to want is another miracle and another one after that. And if we see even that many, we're only going to want another and then another and then another. But what Jesus is saying here is you don't need a miracle. You need me. And so to be waiting for so long, praying and pleading and continuing to believe beyond your doubt, And then for Jesus to come in and say, I see you. I know what you've been suffering through. I know how long it's been and I can heal you. But it's the comforting, compassionate nearness of Jesus that we need. And that's what we should be after. And this by no means, by the way, means or suggests that we shouldn't pray for the sick, that we shouldn't pray for uh, healing, that we shouldn't pray for our marriages or for God to miraculously intervene. By no means. But we shouldn't be after Jesus for what he can do for us. We should be after Jesus for Jesus' sake. And so this morning, I just want to encourage those who have been suffering. Would you find someone, as we, as we come into a time of, of ministry and prayer, would you find someone that you know is, is trustworthy, someone that you can share or that you have shared your experience with, And would you ask them to pray for you? Would we join together in how how Paul tells us to carry one another's burdens, to pray for one another, to love one another, and, and what some have called the one another's, right? All the things that we do for one another. And so as we enter into a time of of response. If you're in a season of suffering, would you find someone and ask them to pray with you? Um, And if you're tired of waiting or tired of trying to take things into your own hands, would you just surrender that to the Lord this morning? Clark, if, if you could come up and, and the band, if you guys could come up. I just want to pray over us and then maybe we can spend some time in prayer together. God, you know our needs. You know how long we've been suffering through sometimes difficulties of our own making and sometimes through situations that we have no control over that have just come upon us. 
God, would you meet us here? Would you come and let us know? Would your, would your Holy Spirit come and encourage us and embrace us and let us know that you see us, that our tears have not been in vain, that you hold them, you keep them in a bottle, that you know everything that's happened to us. And that you're here to take the burden from us. You're here to take our burden. Would you teach us to to continue to walk in perseverance, to run the race with perseverance. And that our faith would be made stronger as we walk with you. That our dependence on you would be made stronger. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen.